This is the kind of fast-paced operation we run here. It's really high-tech. I have a dream. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Long and Peter Robinson. James Lalex, and today we talk to Charles McElwee about Pennsylvania race and Larry Kudlow about the economy. So let us have ourselves a podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 613. Why don't you join us at ricochet.com? Why don't you? No good reason why you shouldn't. You will find the community on the web you've always been looking for. Sane, civilized, good conversations without all the throwings of pots and pans and hammers and bricks and all the rest of it. Well, sometimes. Ricochet.com. Give it a try. You'll wonder why you weren't there 10 years ago. And yes, we've been around that long, uh, as have I in a few years more, and as has Rob Long and Peter Robinson, who will be joining us very shortly. Rob, how are you? Doing very well, James. How are you? I'm good. Um, I, you know, I think it's time that we all draw our families close together in these perilous times and and realize the value of each other and how the future Uh-oh. is not vouchsafed. And, uh, you know, these are difficult times. And I, I don't know what to say. I mean, given the news of the last week, the realization that... Um, well, that Ron DeSantis wore white boots is is just, I don't know. <laughs> the white, it, the white boots were a mistake, let's be honest. The white boots were not a mistake. The white boots actually were what they wear in that place. Yeah, but they, are, they, they are, well, okay, but what I loved about it was that he his office put out a meme of an alligator wearing those white boots uh, with the phrase, don't tread on Florida, That's which is smart. just the kind of slapping back, clap back, as they say, yeah, in the yeah, yeah. That, that, we, that we love. It's clever. It, it leans right into it. It makes fun of the people who are making fun of it. It's his tan suit controversy which if i remember correctly everybody knows, suit and- everybody's freaking out about on the on, on the right I, I i don't think so anyway we usually um waste your time with some pointless banter here the first but we're going to cut that wait for peter and we're going to get right to our guest who is charles <laughs> McElwee. charles welcome editor of real clear politics pen or real clear pennsylvania contributing writer for real clear politics and the astute and wonderful city journal uh with the race between fetterman and dr oz tightening up as they always say as we get closer and uh, josh shapiro seemingly on his way to the governor's mansion we thought charles could get us up to speed in the fight in the commonwealth and uh, why the rest of us should possibly care now charles let me tell you from an outsider's perspective it looks like this you got this dr oz guy who i've has been floating on the periphery of my of my head for however many years. I have no opinion other than whatever television doctor. I don't care. And the Fetterman's doctor, uh, right? Oprah's doctor and Hanson America's doctor. And Fetterman uh, came to my attention because of a series of uh, well tweets that just says, "What's that thing on his neck?" And he isn't speaking clearly. That's how it looks from here. Um, and I'm sure you have a few more details you can add. So, what's going on? It's a, a remarkable uh, matchup. So with Fetterman, you have this figure who really has run, I would consider, a marketing can- campaign to get where he is now for the past decade. So he was well profiled in the national press going back to the late 2000s. Rolling Stone profiled Fetterman as the mayor of hell, Braddock, Pennsylvania, in, in, in the West, 
a community that once had 20,000 people. It's down to 1,900 today. And he was the mayor of this community that has just precipitously declined. And <laughs> over the years has been profiled everywhere from the Atlantic uh, to being part of a Levi's jean campaign. And here we are. Fetterman is the nominee facing off against Oz. Fetterman's lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He wanted to run for lieutenant governor so he could oversee the board of pardons, which is under the purview of a lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania. And his family is from the state and he's facing Oz, who up until I would say recent weeks has run this elevating campaign, a positive message reflective of that daytime TV syndication persona. But in recent weeks, he has taken a turn on going on the offense against Fetterman, who has run what I would consider a negative type of campaign, the type of campaign that tries to reach working class voters in Pennsylvania and tell them that their lives are rough and he is here for them. And Oz, in turn, is now calling Fetterman out, questioning his authenticity. So it's a battle of authenticity in many ways. Oz, up until recently, has been attacked as the carpetbagger, daytime TV guy, the quack doctor. But now Oz is on the offense saying, well, look at Fetterman's authenticity. Is he the real deal or is he just a progressive activist who is not up for the job considering his health crisis this spring? Before I hand it off to Rob, who will give, who will give a, a well-considered question, I just want to get to one thing you said before about he wants to run for because he can control the pardons. That seems a very specific thing. Is, does he have a lot of people in mind that he wants to get out? Is he one of those Soros types who's going to empty the jails and uh, flood the streets with the people who ought to be behind bars? So this spring, the Philadelphia Inquirer ran a report on Fetterman's time as head of the Board of Pardons as lieutenant governor. And in the report, he was described as having the heart of an activist, but really in his role, he was oftentimes described as a bully. His oversight of the Board of Pardons has been with the forthright goal of releasing um, life uh, sentences, people in prison. Uh, He endorsed the comment of a former corrections secretary in Pennsylvania who said that you can release a third of prisoners in Pennsylvania and the crime rate in the state would not increase. Now, of course, a U.S. senator has no control over state prisons, but nevertheless, Fetterman's positions on matters of criminal justice are reflective of those of Larry Krasner, district attorney of Philadelphia, a city that is continuing to confront record crime, uh, a record homicide rate, and on the path to surpassing its record crime rate in uh, 2021. So Oz is on the attack against Fetterman for these positions in a state where between 2019 and 2020, Pennsylvania's violent crime rate increased more than any other state in the nation. The crime crisis here is not limited to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. This is a state of many small to mid-sized cities where crime is rising, where police departments are stretched thin, and where voters are living in struggling communities who do not subscribe to the progressive viewpoint on matters of criminal justice. So, hey, Charles, is Rob calling. Um, 2016, I had dinner, probably 2016, maybe 2015, I had dinner with a, uh, 2016, I had dinner with a, uh, a, a couple of, like, Pennsylvania watchers, 
and they said Pennsylvania citizens, right, residents and political watchers. And they said, oh, you know, I think I think Trump's going to win Pennsylvania. And I kind of rolled my eyes like, really? I don't think so. Uh, and of course, we know he won. And since then, Pennsylvania has been really, really interesting. Uh, but also really, really, really weird. Like there's some kind of like the if you had asked me to pick the two uh, uh, party uh, representatives vying for this Pennsylvania Senate race, I mean, these are two people who do not resemble Pennsylvania senators in the least. Like there's no like if they they a crackpot weirdo running for California Senate. Yeah, we've had that. Uh, but Pennsylvania, this is like kind of a keystone state what is pennsylvania changing or is it emerging or is it having a nervous breakdown or i mean there's a reason why there's a real clear pennsylvania right because it's interesting why is it interesting this is a state that is struggling and it was no surprise to me in 2016 that trump won pennsylvania i my family's right. from luzerne county from hazelton a city that is a microcosm of all the social and economic discontent that we're seeing among voters across the mid-Atlantic, industrial uh, upper Midwest. But we do have a long tradition, that's right, of electing patrician-like elected officials. The best yeah. example of that is John Hines, right? I mean, this is a guy, the most successful politician in the history of the state, even now, the highest winning margin of all time in Pennsylvania was John Hines in 1988. And uh, who was more patrician than the Sky yeah. condiment family who collected Flemish arts? And <laughs> yeah, it's like, and now we got a guy with tats and a beanie running right, against right. Oprah's doctor. Exactly. Like, is this, so, is this, is, is this prog? I mean, this could be progress. It doesn't sound like it to me, but that's because I'm a hidebound, but it could be, I mean, are Pennsylvania voters different now? I mean, is there, is like a, is they've changed the way I think Florida voters have changed in the past 25 years and even Texas voters have changed in the past 25 years. Is that happening in Pennsylvania? Are we, are we going to be staying up late or, or, uh, or worrying about Pennsylvania on election nights from now on? So the average Pennsylvania voter going beyond the suburbs has not really changed. You're just confronting voters who are deeply disillusioned with both political parties. So when you had the voter in northeastern Pennsylvania from a lifelong Democratic family, working class Catholic, living in a town that where his family goes back generations, he wasn't voting for the Republican Party in 2016. He may have only changed his party registration this year. The average Pennsylvania voter is one who voted for Kerry in 04, opposed the Bush era, voted for Obama in 08, may have given Obama a second chance in 12, and is now, based on the leftward direction of the Democratic Party, in lockstep with the Republican Party. But these are voters who are angry with both parties and hold no allegiance right. to either party because of the past 30 years and how so many communities in Pennsylvania have struggled. I mean, we're, we're the state where you would you can go to rural parts of Pennsylvania and see these dense communities, places, neighborhoods that look like they could fit into Brooklyn. Right. And these are communities where people hold memories 
of what life was once like even 20 years ago, but they have so profoundly struggled and the results in this anti-incumbent mood, but also this mood to shake things up. And that leave, and that's why Oz performed in the primary, why he performed so well in Northeastern Pennsylvania and why Fetterman dominated statewide in the primary against Connor Lamb. They have patience for centrism. Okay, so um, we've got two kind of outliers running in a pretty much a, like a what used to be a solid sort of kind of conservative, I mean, small C conservative state. Um, and Fetterman's uh, uh, outraised Oz, got more money than Oz, right? Am I right about that? It's more competitive now. Oz is getting help from the Republican Party and the Scott right. McDonald's pack. He's in a better position now than he was a few weeks ago. Okay, if I if I if I if I had a demand that you make a prediction, which I kind of am, um, uh, what would you what would your what would you predict? State of play today, and then try to project in the future. So the real clear politics polling average has uh, Fetterman about four points ahead, um, which suggests to me that. At this point, this is Oz's race to lose. I think he's in a good position to uh, barely pull it off. I don't think there are voters um, in the working class regions that have trended Republican in recent years who are going to be flocking to Fetterman, thinking that he's their working class hero. If anything, they may not like Oz, but they can't wait to vote for him so they don't have to see Fetterman in, in Washington. The voter registration <laughs> trends alone tell the story of Pennsylvania. Counties that were reliably Democratic when Trump was elected in 2016 now have Republican office holders from the federal down to the hyperlocal level. These are courthouses that are now Republican. These are voters who have switched their registrations. Why we we are now a state that has about the same voter uh, gap between Dems right. and Republicans that it had in 2000 when this was a very competitive state for Republicans. Of course, the suburbs tell a different story. They're more transient. There are more suburbs than 20 years ago in Pennsylvania. They're quite prosperous. They're trending blue. But there are still enough voters even in those suburbs who mm. have no time for Fetterman. And that's why I think Oz... Um, has the upper hand going into election day? Okay, so I know I know Peter wants to get in. I have just just one la- one last one, one little mini one. Here's the mini one. Um, it's sort of a general fifty thousand foot. Um, Real Clear Pennsylvania. Are there any other states that Real Clear does this with? Yes, Real Clear Florida, which of course Florida <laughs> is another state. Yeah, that, uh, is, is I noticed there's no Real Clear Massachusetts. What is that telling me? <laughs> it tells us that it's a one-party control state and quite boring. Yeah, it's yeah. not that interesting, right? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, um, somewhat. I, I talked to a friend Minnesota is what I'm looking for. Right. I, I saw. I, I talked to a friend of mine in politics, and he said, uh, "You know, Oz is having a great week, and it's a great week because Herschel Walker in Georgia is having a terrible week." The theory being that there are people with money and people with sort of know-how saying, "Okay, Walker is now much more uphill." It's that is a jump ball. We don't know what's going to happen there. That Oz is winnable. Um, and you just told me that Oz is winnable, even though in your real clear poll average, he's four points down, which, I, you know, is actually like within the margin. Right. So you're saying if Oz, as long as Oz uh, in the averages is in hunting distance, firing distance, he's got the upper hand. That doesn't seem that explain to me why that counterintuitive statement is true. 
Because we're still weeks away from Election Day, and I think one thing to watch heading into Election Day is the October 25th debate between Fetterman and Oz. So this is this will be a debate to watch. I, I know in recent cycles we we have that ongoing debate. Are our, our, do debates matter anymore? They mattered in 2020. I mean, the vote average Trump voter I talked to in Pennsylvania when asked to say why did Trump lose Pennsylvania. They'll say, oh, it was our first debate. That was a problem. Yeah. So that that was actually borne out by the Trump campaign's own research. I mean, they said that that was Wisconsin and parts of Arizona and definitely Pennsylvania was that first debate. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to see a debate where you have Oz. Now, look, Oz, could that debate work against Oz? Of course, because there, there's the factor of empathy among voters in Pennsylvania who are confronting their own chronic health issues. And may say that Oz is exploiting Fetterman's serious health setback to his advantage. So he, Oz has, has to play it safe or be cautious about how he approaches this. But in recent weeks, Fetterman has spoken for himself. We see the clips. He, he is clearly recovering from what happened in May. And he is asking voters to sign on to a six-year contract. And now Peter Robinson has joined the chat, as they say, and he's got some piquant questions for Charles. Yes, I grew up in upstate just across the border from Susquehanna County, where my grandparents lived. And having watched me screw around to try to plug in my microphone a moment ago, this will come as no surprise to Charles. He will have pegged me as an upstate New Yorker right away. Okay. So I have some feel for northeastern Pennsylvania, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Scranton, believe it or not, when I was growing up, when my mom and her friends wanted to go shopping in a big town, they'd get together and drive down to Scranton. Okay. So here's the question. I'm going to put Pennsylvania very, very crudely and then you're going to adjust the picture. And in adjusting, as you adjust the picture, we're all going to learn. Two Pennsylvanias, really simple, crudely simple. One is Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and the other is the rest of the state. <clears throat> and Mehmet Oz and John Fetterman each have to choose which Pennsylvania to campaign for. And then they just have to get their Pennsylvania to outvote the other. And they're pretty evenly matched. But it breaks down almost like that, doesn't it? No. Okay. It's, yeah, I, I disagree with that. This is an extremely culturally fractious state. And the, the state has dramatically evolved since Jim Carville threw that famous line on Pennsylvania, Alabama, in the middle between Pittsburgh right. and Philadelphia in the 1986 campaign. He ran Bob Casey, a scrambler. Scrantonian, his gubernatorial campaign that year that made his career. But Pennsylvania is a state of many regions. We have multiple uh, media markets beyond Philadelphia and Pittsburgh that do matter. We just take South Central Pennsylvania, for example. Uh, Harrisburg, Lancaster, York, that is a booming area. The most prosperous mm. county in the state outside of Chester County which was historically Republican, trending blue in the Trump era, just outside Philadelphia. Cumberland is a, an economic powerhouse for increasingly transient. I would compare Harrisburg's West Shore to nor Northern Virginia, a, a Fairfax type really? town that's exploding in growth and that is increasingly competitive for both political parties. And Northeastern Pennsylvania, in turn, complex in the sense of Democratic, trending Republican, 
But you also have to consider the demography of the state. Now, most cities east of the Susquehanna River, minus Philadelphia and Harrisburg, have majority Hispanic populations. This wasn't the case 20 years ago. You have Allentown that uh, has uh, more than 50% Latino residents. Hazleton is now approaching. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hazleton, Allentown are more than 50% Hispanic? Hazleton is 70% Latino. Reading is 85% Latino. These are cities that have been completely uh, transformed by demography, economics. Th- these are the lost stories. And these are new voters. Uh, these are voters that both parties are trying to reach. And that social, economic, that demographic transformation, I'd say east of the Susquehanna River, makes this state quite complex uh, for both political parties in the years ahead. And, and, and if anything, the, this, the, the race this year is a good one to watch in a sense of voting trends that emerge uh, beyond Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Philadelphia is kind of predictable at this point. Greater Philadelphia is trending blue. You have Bucks County as an exception. That's still down the middle. But besides that, you have a state where, where no region is the same. And it's a lot of work for both parties. Charles, you're a very kind man. I've just done a Rip Van Winkle act in real time. The Pennsylvania of my grandparents is no more. Wow. So here's one more question. You said a moment ago that the real clear average has Fetterman up a little over four percentage points. And that means Oz is ahead. Okay. Question. Is that because you are, the polls are wrong on the ground now? Or because you're you're extrapolating movement on the part of Oz that Oz has been overtaking or closing on Fetterman in recent weeks. I, because if it's the latter, I've missed it. I've been watching Real Clear every day for a couple of weeks now, and that race just seems to bounce around. So are you saying the polls are just wrong? And if they're wrong, and everybody knows they're wrong, even the Cook Report seems to be suspicious of the polls. They've moved this from lean Democrat to toss up. Um, why don't the pollsters correct them? What's wrong with polling in Pennsylvania? Well, I think you have voters who are reluctant to uh, display their views and surveys, uh, the, the age-old phone calls. They're, they're not really disclosing who they're going for. But I will say I, I travel all over the state. I, I am racking up miles every week, traveling throughout the state, talking to voters. And the consistent takeaway on the Oz Fetterman race is quite simple, that uh, the favorability ratings of Oz, which are quite low, he does not have good favorability ratings. Uh, that's accurate, but that doesn't suggest that these voters who may not hold favorable views of Oz will vote against him. And the consistent conversation that I have with voters is that though they may not like Oz for all his supposed faults in their view, they will certainly vote for Oz because they fear the alternative due to their stance on the Democratic Party, their view that that Fetterman, more than anyone, is almost like he, it, it captures their fear of the leftward direction of the Democratic Party. Why would they either sit out this race and not vote at all or vote for Fetterman, who, in their view, is the, like the, the apocalyptic progressive scenario? So that, that's why I just don't buy uh, that that Fetterman would handily win in Pennsylvania. I'm surprised it's not a better person. Hey, Charles Michael, we thank you <laughs> very much. Real Clear Pennsylvania, and of course, at Real Clear Politics. We'll talk to you again down the road, perhaps after the election, and uh, run what you said against what happened. And uh, 
fingers crossed, hoping for the best. Thank you for joining us today. Thank Thanks, you. Charles. Yeah, Charles, Thanks thank you very much. Yeah. It was fun. Thanks a lot. Great. You know, if we were really smart, we'd have him back and give all of his predictions. You know, this guy wins and then a prediction for it. this guy wins and then this guy wins big and this guy wins by this margin. You know, just get them all together so we can just splice them in later and make him look absolutely brilliant. You know, call it an insurance, if you will, against his reputation. No, I'm kidding. I'm oh, sure his wow. predictions are fine as they are. He doesn't need to modify them, but you need to modify your insurance profile if you don't have any. You really do. Life insurance is important. And you think, why? I won't be there, uh, but others will behind you. Who needs you? Who needs you now and will need you in the future? You know, you hope you never need it, but mortgage payments and childcare and other expenses, they don't disappear when you do. No, life insurance through your workplace, that's great, but might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And it won't follow you if you leave your job, you know. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as we age for obvious reasons, now is the time to buy. Now, policy genius. Policy Genius gives you a smarter way to find and buy the right coverage for you and your family. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential. Just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $17 per month for half a million dollars of coverage. Wow. And Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid all those unnecessary medical exams. They're not incentivized to recommend one insurer over the other. So you can trust their guidance and there's no added fees. And your personal info, it's private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net, don't they? They do. And you deserve a smarter way to find it and buy it. So head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description here if you're at ricochet.com at the moment to get your free life insurance quotes. Free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. And we thank Policy Genius for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Now we welcome back to the podcast Larry Kudlow, Associate Director for Economics and Planning at the Office of Management and Budget in the Reagan administration and served as the Assistant to the President for Economic Policy and Director of the National Economic Council under President Trump. He's currently the host of Kudlow on Fox Business Network. You can find that, uh, you know, weekdays, 4 p.m., I think. He's a Fox News contributor, friend of the show. Larry, I got to ask you. I used to be able to buy eggs for $2.29. There's a sign at the grocery store today that says they're apologizing for the price of eggs. A dozen eggs is five bucks. How long is this going to go on? Can I just say that uh, Oz is going to win easily. <laughs> and the reason he's going to win is Fetterman is a crazy person. Well, there you go. Well, you, you say that like that's a political liability. <laughs> yeah, it, it, even, it still is, at least in some states in the union. So we're dealing with uh, inflation, as I was saying. Uh, oh, sorry. Now we've, we, we passed, a, <laughs> the Biden administration passed, passed a big bill. And I guess uh, we're supposed to be heading now towards, uh, you know, 1%, 2% inflation. Doesn't seem to be happening. What do you think of the causes? Duh. And uh, what do you think is the short-term outlook for $5 eggs? Well, look, inflation, uh, which was caused by too much federal spending and too much money printing, uh, is going to last for a while. The Fed's target is 2%. Right now, the basic underlying inflation rate is somewhere between 6 and 7%. 
And I think it's going to be difficult to bring that down to 2%. I think it's going to take at least another year. And the Fed's going to be raising interest rates, continuing to tighten up on the money supply. So it's going to be a struggle. But I mean, right now, you talk about the price of eggs. Uh, you had jobs report today where wage rates are up about 6% for production workers, blue-collar workers, but the CPI is up over 8%, so real wages are still falling, and that's the soft underbelly of the economy, and that, that has, you know, we're probably either in a recession or in the front end of a recession, and I think it also has political consequences. This election is going to be about inflation, it's going to be about recession, it will be about crime and other things too, but I think uh, inflation, the economy are the big issues. I mean, uh, hey, Larry, it's Rob Long. Thanks for joining us. Um, and again, I, whenever we have you on, I always tell you what I what I what I think I know about economics, and then you chuckle indulgently and pat me on the head and set me straight. But here's what I think I know. I don't know if this works or not, but I do think that the prevailing wisdom is that here's how you get out of inflation: you cause a recession, and that seems like the playbook that the Fed is following. Um, we're kind of entering, uh, it seems like the late 70s, kind of economically, early 80s. Um, I mean, there's no Reagan in sight. Well, there is one. He's wearing white boots in Florida, as far as I'm concerned. But okay. Um, is that what's happening here? I mean, is that what the, what the grandees in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the Fed offices are saying, like, I'm sorry about this, fellas, but we're going to have to cause a little bit, a bit of an economic downturn to mop up all of that excess cash, or am I, am I wrong? I was just going to say that I haven't spoken to you in a couple of years, so I didn't know how much economics you had or remembered. Um, <laughs> since we raised this point, um, look, what, what's missing here, and I think it's been a problem, is that there's no supply-side uh, economic growth policies. Uh, you know, the Bidens have shut down uh, energy. They've shut down fossil fuels. And their regulatory burdens, I mean, they had the biggest regulatory increase in uh, their first year in office in, in history. is $200 billion, which is stifling business. And recently, they've raised taxes on businesses. So you're not getting a growth. Uh, growth would help. Uh, I don't think uh, you'd still have a pain-free adjustment to price stability. But if you had more production uh, and more investment, it would certainly make the job easier. So let's say the Fed, by throttling back on the money supply, has curbed the excess demand uh, created in, in 21 and, and most of 22. Uh, but you would also increase the supply of goods and services. So less demand, more supply be easier. But that adjustment is going to be more painful uh, because you have economic policies from the Bidens that are quite hostile to um, supply side economics. So it's going to be yeah, much more difficult. So, so the regulatory burden is um, a wet blanket on risk. Yeah. And how much of that, which 
to me, it still seems so hard to figure out how much of that is energy, um, energy production, energy transportation, energy research. How much of that, how much of that wet blanket that the Biden administration has put on the economy is kind of energy related? Um, a good deal of it. But there are other factors, too. I mean, they have assaulted businesses. They're putting on so much red tape. The, uh, right. the climate change crusade, uh, which is so obsessive and so radical and so extremist. So what you got is you've got these federal agencies like the let's take the SEC, for example. Okay, the SEC has created, I don't know, a 300-page rule on climate change, on environmental impact. Now, mind you, this is the Securities Exchange Commission. This is not the Securities and Environmental Commission. Right. They have no expertise in this field, and yet they are imposing massive restrictions uh, and requests for data that isn't even available on businesses. Now, this rule has not yet uh, been implemented, but it's in the planning stage. And it's causing firms uh, to be very wary, very leery of making uh, future investments that might boost productivity, might boost wages, might boost um, Right. job opportunities so that's an example the federal trade commission the ftc is doing the same thing and also the federal trade commission uh because of its anti-business views is crusading about monopolies and breaking up companies and things of that sort so yeah a lot of this is direct energy we're about two million barrels a day short of where we should be, maybe three million barrels a day. But a lot of this is against business. It's had a, a freezing impact. I mean, it's literally strangul strangulating business, right. no, strangling business. So, you know, these are all related problems. One other point I'd like to make here, you've had this explosion of federal assistance programs, which was originally aimed at emergency COVID assistance, but has carried over uh, well beyond uh, the pandemic. Now, that assistance comes without any work requirements, any work. Right. And so a lot of people have dropped out of the labor force because uh, basically Uncle Sam is providing them with, uh, you know, family of four up to $100,000 of assistance without working. So that would obviously reduce the productivity of the economy and would reduce the output of the economy. So between all these things, the war on fossil fuels, the war on business, the war on work, you know, you got yourself a very difficult position and the Federal Reserve is therefore going to bear the burden of bringing inflation down. I don't want to sound sympathetic to the Fed because I'm not. <laughs> they, they, they looked at this. They did not understand what was going on. They pushed for a lot of these uh, right. plans. 
And then they called inflation temporary, transitory. They bought into the administration view. So now they're hoisted on, on that petard as well. Hey, if I could just interrupt Larry for a second here, and I love to do that, and he loves it when people do too, don't you, Larry? Yeah, okay, all right, hold on, I'll be right back to you, Larry. Just want to say, what are you listening to now exactly? And what are you listening to this show on? You know, one of the reasons that it's uh, great to listen to the stuff that I do is because I got Raycons, Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon's everyday earbuds look and feel and sound better than ever. And by look, by the way, they're blue. There's this great color blue that I just like. Everybody else got the white. You can get the blue. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Trust me on this. They won't. I will use them when I'm outside gardening. Who am I kidding? I don't garden. Uh, when I'm walking the dog and going upstairs and all the rest of it. I've even had them in my ears when I was walking the dog in the winter and I slipped and I fell and they stayed in. They will not budge. And their price just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. And they give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. It's no wonder that Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. So one of the things that is great about the new ones is noise isolation and awareness mode, which means that you can sort of get more into your music, but you're not unaware of what's going on around you. A siren, somebody yelling as they're coming behind you. Some of these places, you know, the earbuds just shut you off entirely from the rest of the world. You wear those big cans. Well, you're not going to hear a siren as it's coming towards you, but Raycons, noise isolation and awareness mode. It's a great addition. You can buy them. Oh, yes. You can buy them at buyraycon.com slash ricochet today. Use this promo code ricochet to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N. Buyraycon.com slash ricochet with the promo code 15% off with ricochet. That's the word. Buyraycon.com slash ricochet. Code ricochet. And we thank Raycon for sponsoring the Ricochet podcast. And if you're listening to this on your Raycons, you know what I mean. Uh, I got one more. I know Peter wants to jump in. Um, is there a way, I mean, you know, we we have a lot to talk about, so I'm, I'm don't let me derail it. But is there a way for us? I mean, I guess for you, right? And and in the the brain trust and the geniuses you have there, to figure out what all of this crap is costing us. What the what what what's the actual? What would be the GDP if we had? You know, half of the regulations we have, or maybe a third of them, if we had uh, a robust. Um, energy sector if we weren't uh putting on our pension funds this sort of esg nonsense what what w- w- there's a price to pay for all this do we know what what the actual number is i think it'd be staggering for people to know that the reason that their pension funds are not growing as they should is because we are we are putting uh i guess you know i don't know a speed limit on the future well that's an interesting point i mean the, the short answer is no, we don't know. I mean, all these estimates. I just saw an interesting article uh, in the Atlantic that the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which is uh, the Inflation Enhancing Act, but the- <laughs> yeah, that's right. They should change that name. <laughs> I'm working on it, but basically, there's estimated 400 billion in uh, green tax credits okay but then the uh, 
Atlantic Magazine uh, article says, well, you know, that's going to be way low because you know, every business in the country is going to want their own little uh, green tax credit, uh, whether they go green or not. Now, they're saying it could, could be $800 billion. <laughs> Now, they said that joyfully, by the way, because they think that this uh, green crusade is fabulous. Uh, I don't, but um, that's an example of why these underestimates. Here's another one. The student loan cancellation, which was done by executive order, which is, in my view, uh, completely unconstitutional. They have no authority uh, to do this. But in any event, you know, the estimates, you look at the pro progression of estimates, the, the, the White House said it was going to cost uh, 150 billion or 200 billion, as though that were nothing. But then the uh, the uh, committee for responsible federal budget, whatever it's called, Maya McGinnis's group, uh, they're tax raisers, but they do good work on the spending side. So they said, no, no, it's going to be about 500 billion. And then the uh, Penn Wharton model, uh, which is a you know conventional model, but uh, it's honest work, and they said it could go as high as one trillion dollars. So I don't know, Rob. It's, it's you know, it's um, one way to look at this is we just crossed thirty-one trillion in uh, debt. Okay, now that, that's an official number. That's an actual number. That's not a forecast, and that's about one hundred and thirty percent of GDP. Now, down through the years. I've never been a debt monger, a debt hawk. I'm a supply sider. You know, I think low tax rates through the Laffer curve boosts economic growth. But I must tell you, 130% of GDP gets my attention. If for no other reason, I've never seen a number that big in this country. So I don't, I have no idea what this stuff means. But what I, here's what I do know. It must be stopped. It must be stopped. Otherwise, uh, we are going to live in a stagflation world, you know, for the next, I don't know how many years, 10 years or longer. And that's unacceptable. Larry, you mentioned all the subsidies for green energy. A lot of that stuff, the electrical vehicles and the like, and the big, nice, wonderful wind, uh, you know, things, blades going in the countryside, requires a lot of copper, a lot of copper, a lot of high-grade copper. The Biden administration uh, recently canceled a project here in Minnesota that would have enabled a large copper mine to start up, which makes me wonder, I don't think they know what they're doing. They just sort of assume that that all the necessary resources and materials will just arise magically somehow from the earth uh, to make this electrical green vision possible in the future. But if they're mandating it on one hand and forbidding it on the other, doesn't that give you the idea that there, there really isn't anybody guiding this? They're just sort of making it up, reacting to various intellectual pre-existing conditions? I mean, yes. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. You got it right. I mean, this is like immaculate conception. I, I have no idea. I mean, by the way, uh, uh, copper, and uh, you're probably thinking about the iron range. Copper, Yes. It, we need a lot of, we need nickel, uh, lithium, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess they're, they think they're going to buy it from China. 
but we have these we have these resources but they won't let us mine for them but here's another point even if they permitted mining it would require uh you know construction development and so forth that would be uh carbon intensive mm -hmm. carbon intensive i can't emphasize that enough and you know these these uh wind farms that they're talking about okay by the way i'm not against wind i'm not against solar and, and by the way i i do think there's a climate change issue over the next 100 or 200 years but uh i would rather go about it by letting a thousand flowers bloom with respect to fossils and renewables including nuclear and let the technology and the innovation of capitalism solve this problem what this crowd is trying to do is is end fossils without any alternative structure of renewables larry yes larry peter here i have i have to i i have a correction of you personally that i have to issue and then i have a question and here's the correction here i am clicking around on fox news the other evening and i stop because there's my buddy kudlow and he's saying interesting intelligent things and they're all correct as they always are when larry talks but he's not wearing a tie larry larry standards are collapsing everywhere we look to you to remain the one well-dressed man on television what the hell do you think you were doing there yeah, Jeepers, but creepers huh it was a nice it was a nice shirt and blazer <laughs> <laughs> that cuts no ice with me okay listen we're talking about today and tomorrow and what they're doing wrong and what we need to do to fix it it's important to get the past right too I was skimming The Economist the other day. They were attacking Liz Truss, the new prime minister of Britain, because she had put into effect, she had attempted a Reagan-like program. They described it that way. Now she's done a U-term. She chickened out. She's not going to cut taxes. But at the moment, they were writing. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, you get to Liz Truss comes second. First, here's what The Economist wrote. They said that she misunderstood the Reagan program in the first place. Now, I'm going to quote them. It's three sentences long. The Reagan program's early record was mixed. The tax cuts did not stop a deep recession. And by March 1984, annual inflation had risen back to 4.8%. And America's bond prices reflected fears of another upward spiral in prices. Here's the kicker. Inflation was anchored only after Congress had raised taxes. Close quote. The Reagan expansion was the product of tax hikes. Larry, didn't you know yeah. that? Yeah, I did. You know, it's really, the, the economist has just deteriorated so badly um, in recent years. It's too bad. No, that's not true. I mean, look, the inflation, it, 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 it is true in, in uh, 81 and 82, uh, we did have a recession. The recession started in 79. Uh, and, you know, Volcker had to slay inflation, which had gotten up to whatever, 15%. Uh, I think that the Gipper, you know, if we had it to do over again, we wouldn't have delayed the full impact of the tax cuts. And as Art Laffer has said many times, when the tax cuts kicked in, 
uh, the 25% tax cut kicked in in uh, January 1st, 1983. You watch the economy take off, uh, and it did grow by about 12% for the next 18 months, 12% at an annual rate. Now, the inflation rate fell you know, from, I don't know, 1980-81, where it was about 15%. The inflation rate fell to about 2% in the next five or six years. So I, I don't know what the economist is writing about. And even uh, even the tax, uh, the, the, there were some tax adjustments in 1982. I was opposed to it, but Reagan went along with it because he thought he would get a lot of spending cuts. He never got the spending cuts, but he didn't, he didn't change marginal tax rates. He never touched that. There was some revenue enhancers in there, but... Uh, so that history is just completely wrong. Look, Liz Truss, by the way, yeah, the, 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 the Tory wets pushed her back on the top income tax uh, drop from 45 to 50. But, 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 but she still cut the payroll tax. She still uh, cut the corporate tax or she prevented the corporate tax from going up six or seven points. Um, and she did drop the uh, basic middle class tax rate by... Uh, one pence, I think. And she gave a heck of a great speech at the party conference a couple days ago saying that she pledged not to let the no growth crowd run the Tory party. So I know Liz Truss. She was trade minister when I was uh, in the White House and I had some dealings with her. She's a very talented woman and uh, she's uh, taken on a Thatcherite stand and I think she's going to stick with it. But you got these these Tory rhinos that are impossible. Larry, call, call it, will you please? Call the election. The country is solid enough. It remembers growth well enough, and it's sick enough of the Democrats and their expand, their endless regulations, their absurd. We don't know what we're doing. Green Deal. That Republicans are going to capture both houses of Congress. Is that right? That is correct. It's going to be a clean. Oh, you really do believe it? Even the Senate? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all the Senate races are breaking for the GOP. Uh, the cavalry's coming. The House is going to win at least 40 seats. And the Senate is going to pick up, I don't know, uh, uh, somewhere between three and five seats. That'd be my guess. Really? So, okay. F 40 seats. Wow. That's the most. Uh, now, Larry, wait a minute. You're sure that this is experience and, and, and analysis speaking. <laughs> this is not the, the wish as the father of the thought. Look, at, I, uh, I are you wearing a tie as you say this? <laughs> no, I'm not, as a matter of fact. But um, I would just say that in the Senate races, if you take a look at, at the good, most likely voters, polls uh you know scott rasmussen rasmussen trafalgar Schwartz, trafalgar um, e even the abc uh wapo abc polls show this they're all breaking for the gop you know they spent the democrats spent hundreds of millions of dollars at negative ads in august and it did have an impact but it didn't move the needle very much uh and now you're seeing it close i mean i i look Ron Johnson's going to win for sure. Uh, Oz is going to win for sure. Uh, Vance is going to win for sure. Uh, uh, Herschel, I think, despite some mistakes he's made, I believe he will win. Masters is going to win. Laxalt is a layup. 
Uh, I think Tiffany Smiley up in Washington is going to win. I mean, I think it's going to be a tremendous. In New York, we don't have a Senate race up for grabs, but I think Lee Zeldin is going to win for governor. He'll be the first Republican you governor. You do? Five years. That yeah. would be huge. That wow. would change everything, Larry. You might well, have to move back to Manhattan. It's the, well, you got. I, I don't know that we want that necessarily, but I, I think that basically, uh, yes, Lee Zeldin's going to beat Hochul. Uh, it's a Republican sweep. Again, look, it's inflation, economy, crime. Those are the big issues in this race. The GOP has huge leads on all these issues. And um, there's a lot of money now coming in to get these Republicans uh, on TV in the last few weeks of the campaign. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very optimistic. I'm just very optimistic. Uh, Rick Scott told me on the show uh 52 plus was his number so they're at 49 and i i think 52 plus is a good way to put it larry thanks so much wow. for being with us and the next time that you are on television don't wear a tie and then blink take that peter robinson in Morse code <laughs> with your eyes you Just. guys you're all my favorite never trumpers i love <laughs> with you <laughs> Larry Cudlow. Hope Thanks, to Larry. Have, hope Bye-bye. to have you back again. Bye, kids. Bye-bye. Uh, those of you at home may have wondered towards the end what that audio uh, was. It sounded as though, actually, you know, the creaking door from the inner sanctum was opening up as Larry was speaking. Uh, it was a very strange sound, uh, which yeah. actually was I have not to say, a door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only one uh, inaccuracy in what he said, which was that we have seen each other in person like a few months ago, I was coming, walking into Fox News and he was walking out and he sort of stopped and said, look, it's my favorite never Trumper. <laughs> and then everybody turned and looked and the security guards are looking at me and I'm like, it took me longer to clear security to get into the building that day. Thanks to Larry Kudlow. But you did. You did get it. I did eventually. Yeah. It's like this, we live in a fair world. Right. And then you went back to the green room, right? Yeah, Exactly. What do they have in the green room? Is, it, is there anything actually green back there? No, it's a, it depends on what studio you're in. So that you have there's, a, there's little rooms everywhere, um, uh, depending on the studio. That's um, just a name for it. Yeah, well, it used we to all... be green. It used to be green. Okay, yeah. good. Like a potted plant or something the old like days, that. Yeah. I, would think that, I would like to think that. I mean, I mean, there should be something green in there, even if it's only in a pot. Uh, and, you know, you may have a potted plant in your house, too, but you also may think, gosh, I wish I had more greenery outside of my house. You can do that. Now, right now, where I live in Minnesota, we're just having the freeze, so we have to take all the plants in so they don't die, which is sad. We have to cover them up with shrouds at night so it looks like our backyard is full of ghosts that have just collapsed on the yard to keep them from dying. So we can have a few more weeks of wonderful green, not only a few more days. You may live someplace where you can still plant. And if you do, why not get that tree in now? You know, it's it's just going to grow more and faster, but only if you get it at fast growing trees. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time making this house feel like a home, indoors and out. And my wife spends an awful lot of time just just beautifying the garden and the rest of it. And we've had some trees go out, which is why it's nice to put new trees in. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate, your location, and your needs. You don't have to drive around in nurseries, big gardening centers, and schlep everything home in your trunk and it gets dirt everywhere. Now, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped to your door in one to two days. 
Whether you're looking to add some privacy, some shade, or some natural beauty to your yard, Fast Growing Trees has in-house experts ready to help you make the right selection with growing and care advice available. Get this, 24-7. That's right. Now, I didn't actually have to take advantage of all that because it arrived quickly, easily, and with instructions, and in it went, and there you go. I mean, I've planted a lot of bushes, and a lot of them haven't lasted, but the one from Fast Growing Trees thrives. Even if you've never had a green thumb, they will make you feel like you do. And I don't. And I kind of do now. So you'll be like over 1 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers across the country. Plus, with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet, and you will get 15% off your entire order now, but through October 15th. October 15th is the cutoff. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet. And we thank Fast Growing Trees for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Well, Rob, last week you weren't here. Uh, we don't know where you were, actually. You missed a, you missed a barn burn. I missed a good missed one, yeah. A real corker. Uh, but I had to do your Ricochet promos where you tell everybody that they should join. And I did oh. so in your, in your style, I believe. Um, <laughs> Ineffective? That, was that the style you used? <laughs> that was what I was shooting for, yes. Uh, long, in, inefficacious. Uh, yeah. in the rest. No, no, I, I, I you, tried. You, to, you put on your, 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 we're about to file chapter 11 tone of voice. And... I tried to bring the enthusiasm for the enterprise that you do. So stop oh, undercutting okay. yourself and tell people about the wonderful things that are coming up. Uh, well, listen, if you are a Ricochet member and you're listening to this podcast, we are thrilled and welcome you to uh, Ricochet and are thrilled to be members along with you. If you are not, you should join. And here's why, because you get to go to the meetups. The meetups are loads of fun and they're happening. We'll give you some that are happening now. If you join Ricochet.com, you'll know, of course, would have to tell you. But here are the hints. We've mentioned over the past uh, few weeks that events will be going on in Huntsville, Alabama. That's the 22nd of October. There's a group meeting on the National View Institute cruise in November. So if you haven't signed up for that cruise, please do. We have one scheduled in Pittsburgh in December. And finally, New Orleans next year during the French Quarter Fest. I will I will move heaven and earth to be there for sure. Um, so, so some of you are probably thinking about how you'd like to go to these things, but the meetups on the schedule are just a little too far or whatever, and it's a big country and money's tight, blah, blah, blah. We know. We just talked to Larry Cudlow. We know exactly the problem. Now, if our meetup locations are out of reach, you aren't doomed. Just join Ricochet. Join Ricochet. Pick a time and a place. I guarantee you, Ricochet members will come to you. That's the benefit of Ricochet. We like the online, but we also like, as the kids say, IRL. Ricochet IRL is as fun, if not funner, than the dot-com part. So details on the Ricochet meetups, go to eight, go to ricochet.com slash events or find the module uh, on the sidebar of the site. Join us online and then join us in person. We would love to see you. Sounds good. Love to do so. I'm still thinking about having one here in Minnesota next spring. It would be a great thing to do and uh, to get all the locals over to the house or in some place where we can meet just because they're fun. You know, I went to one in New York yeah. earlier this year, had a grand time, caught COVID, and I had a grand time. Okay, okay. I give up. I give up. As I so often am forced to do, and I'm listening to the two of you, I Googled to try. I have RIL, rest in love, reduced impact logging, <laughs> no, IRL, results IRL. in learning. IRL. It's not real. In, it's IRL. In real. Oh, oh, I. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I take my correction and now slink away. Internet relay loquaciousness. Yes. In real life. Oh, my, my, my. Lol, Peter, as the kids say. So before we go, <laughs> a couple of other things that have passed. Uh, Biden made a little speech. He was doing some fundraising, said, hey, we're pretty close to Armageddon. Okay. 
Uh, but the thing that was interesting was white waving away the pot convictions. Uh, apparently, 6,500 people or so from 92 to 2021. Um, and... Uh, out the door. Of course, you know that a lot of people who the number the number of people who are actually in prison for just possession seems to strike me as low. I may be wrong, but I, you know, oftentimes I think you have something that's been bargained down to possession. But there we are. And he urged other states to do the same. We'll see exactly what comes with this. But isn't it sort of odd to you that his vice president was sort of uh, famed at what time for the number of pot smokers that she put away in the who's cow. Hmm. Hmm. It's a very weird thing. I don't, I don't quite get who's in the, I mean, Kamala Harris, she was a state official. She was attorney right. general and the prosecutor in the state. I mean, how many people are in federal prison for marijuana as their, as, as what, as their primary, um, for just having it and smoking it. Yeah, for, it, for, for as their primary crime. I mean, Ann Coulter, um, wrote a, pretty good piece as Ann does like within 11 seconds after the announcement suddenly i get an email in my box and written but she does ask a very legitimate question in her typical Ann way which is like those people are not if you're you're not in federal prison because you were you were possessed marijuana that's what you eventually bargained down to so the people that now are now going free are not the you know I, i just had my you know my joint in my pocket and on my way to the um you know, to to volunteer at the soup kitchen. There's a there's a there's a story behind each one of those as to why they bargained down to marijuana. I think she thinks I I she's usually right about this stuff. So who are we letting out? Like I'm I'm all in favor of drug legalization. I'm all in favor of pot legalization. I think we put too many people in prison for it. I think we sent a lot of people to prison where they went to basically to graduate school on how to be uh, antisocial violent criminals and they came out and guess what we succeeded at creating a whole class of antisocial violent criminals um but i'm not sure this is the solution are you in favor of fentanyl legalization no okay but it's uh, fentanyl is very different from marijuana yeah but it's a drug i mean when people i mean i'm in favor people... of you know a vodka legalization that that, that that's where i would put that's where i would put marijuana mm-hmm no, I, you know, there are a couple of things to that. One, uh, when people talk about drug legalization, there usually is a line when they get up to things like Fetty and that, that no, we shouldn't, yeah. we shouldn't, we should not have government approved, stamped and regulated ketamine dispensaries in neighborhoods. That's a bad idea. The thing about uh, the marijuana legalization here in Minnesota, thanks to some ledger domain at the legislature that nobody was really following well, they turned out they legalized edibles of a higher quality and higher potency. So now Minnesota yeah. has got these things. But the marrow, I, I still think that a lot of people today who are saying, you know what, it's just time to legalize it. And I get those arguments are confusing the sort of mellow ditch weed of their youth with the high tech varieties that are available today. Right. right. And there's a lot of studies that I've been seeing, and I tend to believe them based on observation and experience, that the number of people who actually experience bad outcomes psychosis anxiety a whole lot a whole raft of bad things can be attributable to pot yeah um that it's not just the here's you know pass the join around and listen to some grateful dead or something <laughs> nothing's better than lilacs is a hippie voice by the way I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah i know and it's such it's such Come a cliche. On, groovy it, tune it, in turn it, on right on it's a, it's only a 50 year old cliche but I think a lot of people are still operating in that old cliche when the I new agree. stuff I actually agree. can screw you up for good. 
Um, well, so, I think that's true. I mean, that that, that there are. I mean, I, I think that's actually not even just studies say. I think it's pretty much understood that people are noticing over time uh, the th the high uh, high amount of THC, which is sort of the mm -hmm. the groovy element in, in pot, um, can can lead to anxiety and all sorts of other problems and more serious mental problems over sustained time. I think that's that's very true. Um, but we are running um, at least. A, a contemporary experiment the way we should in our constitutional republic about drug legalization in places like Colorado and California and right. Washington and Oregon. And so we, we, we do have information about it. Um, uh, and, and, you know, and ketamine, you mentioned ketamine, ketamine is a very good example too, because ketamine is, is perfectly legal. It's a perfectly legal drug. It's just medicalized. I mean, you have to go to a doctor to get it and people are going to doctors to get it. In fact, there's there are ketamine clinics all over the place. Just Google them. They're near you if you want. Um, and you go to a doctor, and then they give you ketamine. Um, uh, and and psychiatrists have been using it for at least a decade. Right. Uh, so we have a lot. There's a lot of material about it, but uh, ultimately, we're just going to have to face the fact that we we that we we keep inventing things and inventing substances, and we keep trying to alter our consciousness in a lot of different ways, maybe positive, maybe negative. Um, ultimately, what we're going to have to do as a society is figure out where the where we draw the line between. Um, hey, you make your bed, you lie in it. Nobody's telling you to go smoke weed five times a day for 10 years straight. That's going to, you know, in the same way, nobody's telling you to eat a dozen donuts every day. That's going to have major negative effects on your health and well-being. And to the extent that we can protect people in a nanny state way from doing that. So I I'm not sure I know where the line is, but I think there, I think we have erred on the side for some of these drugs of being way, 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 way too reliant on law enforcement and not relying enough on personal responsibility. But then that's, right. that's my brand of conservatism. I, the line exists to me in that, uh, right. I agree. You're, you go and do as thou wilt, but you can't live in a tent city in the middle of a downtown. You, you cannot shoot up on the train. You cannot shoot up on the bus or do crack on the, that, that, it's the refusal to have a modicum of civic order in some of these cities that yeah. we see that just stuns me because we know what to, we know what to Agreed. do we know we can what we can do and you have to ask yourself how much does society owe to somebody who is habitually engaged in their own oblivion and I just would say, I know Peter wants to get in, but I would say that what's interesting about that subject is that we are looking at a population that suffers from the two opposite problems. One problem is, readily available drugs that they are now addicted to. And the other is anti-psychotic drugs that they are not taking. Half of those people need to right. be on drugs right. desperately. Right. And the other half need to right. get off drugs desperately. And right. we have no system, rational system, effective system for um, making that happen. Peter, you're going to say, no, I, well, I, I, the thought in my head is, Oh, I can tell when Rob's had another drink with Nick Gillespie of reason magazine <laughs> listen so here all I, it, between my ears is what's going on in the heads of a lot of americans as these experiments play out i live 30 miles south of san francisco and i want to know i want somebody to to do book length work on those populations that rob described who's here because he's on drugs and who's here because he's not taking his medication and then the so and the other thing and all i have here is anecdotal stuff san francisco's really bad and you see people who are obviously in pain and not eating well and the cops don't do anything for all right 
And then the last time I was in Denver, it happened to be a beautiful spring day, and my wife had never been to Denver, so we walked around downtown Denver. Great clouds of marijuana filled the air. A uh, lot of people who were clearly enjoying themselves, but a few blocks that were starting to look like San Francisco. So what's mm -hmm. going on there? Is it working there? Are things turning in a nasty corner? Does marijuana have anything to do with it? The, uh, my whole point about drug control is that Rob has an argument. Of course he has an argument, but so much of it turns on actual lived experience. It just doesn't seem to me to be the kind of thing where where we can say what should be done, where you, you can't reason ter terribly well from morality. You just have to watch these experiments take place mm -hmm. and learn from them fast. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, there's a space, there's a space for a there's space for a politician to say, look, we need to spend money on this. We need to spend a lot of money on this. That means taxpayer money. We need to build places for these people to go because they can't live on the streets. And we're not talking about the people who just, you know, who get themselves hooked on this and want to, you know, die in a street corner somewhere. That's not who we're, we're talking about. The people that top that that rob is right, right. People who have actual bad wiring, bad chemistry. Even people who've given themselves problems by their previous drug use, if there right, is a right. treatment There's that you a lot can of that do too. in a controlled environment, like an, an, asylum, an asylum, or the people who are yeah. just who right. are just insane and cannot, it is utterly inhumane to leave the insane on the street to mutter and and wave and stalk around naked and throw feces at people. It's it's inhumane to them and it's destructive to the cities that we spent so many years trying to rebuild. So a politician who comes to me and says, "We're going to bring back the asylums." We're not going to have, of course, you can't call them that. We're not going to have them like the bad old days where everybody right. is rocking back and forth in an empty concrete room, dreaming that there are a million bugs on him. We're not going to do that. It's going to be, it's going to be humane. It's going to be well, well done. I think that would work because that would say that the people who need help, we're going to get it. But the people who, in, who just simply want to live on the streets because whatever reason, no, no tolerance or patience anymore. None. Yeah, I, I think you're. I mean, they, they think you're right to make the distinction, right? I mean, there's a certain amount of um, uh, skid row bums on the street that's a given in any city, right? Since Hogarth did his famous gin lane, that 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 that's why they call the part of San Francisco that the tenderloin because that was with skid row bums, drunk winos were on the street, and they were on the street when I was a kid living or in, in the Bay Area, they're on the street now. That's that's a separate problem. It's a problem, but it's a perennial problem. It's a problem that we're going to live with forever. But like any, like a lot of the problems we face today, they are problems brought about by the solutions that people confidently pointed to in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 30 years before. Like yes. everything we face is really was supposed to be the solution. Um, when we deinstitutionalized mental health uh, 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 inmates of, of mental health institutions, which were bedlam and horrible and terrible, and like remember, run flew the cuckoo's nest. That was the emblematic of the problem that these the, all they're just don't, shuffling around. Don't, and, don't don't get me started on that one. Yeah, right. But that was that's like why were, we have this problem right, because exactly. everybody saw but that was, movie and thought but it was kind of true. Right, <laughs> these places were terrible. And your point, James, is wh where is it written that the the false the choice is between terrible mental health facilities uh, away fr from you know public eye where people are being abused and you know uh, narcotized and basically warehoused in horrible filthy conditions and the only other solution is well they live on the street and they push you in front of the car the subway car when they when they when they have a psychotic episode 
That just seems crazy to me, as it seems crazy to you, that we, we there's nobody articulating the idea that that's a stupid choice. We don't, there, there's a million different ways to solve this problem than this. And, um, you know, we just have can, to, can we I, have to try Rob, it. I have one, I have one, since we're rolling along here, and since we get together only once oh, a yeah. week, I'm going to ask Rob a question. Uh, and you answer it very briefly if you want to run. It's this. Here's, here's what I want, I want to know the answer to the following question before I support any more legalization of anything. Here's the question. Yeah, there were always bums in the tenderloin and there were always drunks in the Bowery. But Venice Beach, California used to be just pretty glorious. You lived there for years and you saw this happen in real time. Homeless people moved in. As you know, my daughter rented an apartment down there for a year and (laughs) we moved her in. It was not my, I would not on my recommendation, but yeah. Well, uh, there were homeless people on, I drove around to show her your old house and there were homeless people two blocks from your house. There was a drunk line outside. Okay. Okay. And homeless people living in the alley behind her apartment and an encampment on one of the canals. And that hadn't been the case 10 years earlier. What caused that? Well, that's a very good point, because, in fact, Venice, that Venice Beach, that iconic little colony to part of Venice, uh, was uh, Skid Row for many years. In the old, old, old days. I mean, in the 60s, 70s. Or 60s, oh, 70s, really? early 80s, yeah. Um, Main Street, Santa Monica, which now is like boutiques and Starbucks and new restaurants, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was liquor stores and porn shops. It was another form of Skid Row. Um, you know, kind of a, very weird to think about it, but it, like it, it, that so close to the beach, it just wasn't nice. And then it became nice. Um, so I would say that the difference is just the fact that the people who are living on the street are insane. Now, maybe they've been driven insane by living on the street. Um but it's not the same as a bunch of drunks. Uh, a bunch of drunks is not good, but it's not the same as a bunch of drunks. When a bunch of drunks lived in those neighborhoods, people still felt like, okay, I can buy that house and I'll. this neighbor could turn around. That's not the same feeling mm-hmm. as you get when you're like, these are crazy people living in tents, setting each other on fire, muttering to themselves, uh, and they're unreachable. Like, you can't, put it this way, you, you can't imagine... Um, you know, a mission revival like they have in the Bowery or they have downtown LA or they have, mm-hmm. in, you know, places like where the Salvation Army goes to save the right, drunks. Right. That is simply not the problem. So that is not a solution. Now, they're probably, that is a solution for some people, but um, th- we're living in a world in which insane people are deinstitutionalized. Not, I mean, I, yeah, I get it. It's not great, but the d- drunk people, even opioid addicts, are not pushing people in front of the subway trains. They are not setting each other on fire. Um, they're not. It's not great. I'm not recommending it as a lifestyle, but um, we just don't know. You know, it's almost like we don't know how to treat people. Uh, uh, no, we do, but we have a. Do we have a political class yeah, that uses yeah. them? Yeah, that's. That's better. It uses them as a means of extracting yes. more money for social service organizations, and also uses them coincidentally and and how nice as a cudgel against the current system. Look at how bad things exactly. are now because of capitalism. Look how bad things are because Ronald Reagan personally yes. grabbed them all by the <laughs> collar and dragged exactly. them out of institutions and threw them on the street. It's very convenient. If the problem goes away and they solve it, uh, 
then what are they going to do next year? But you're right. You, I mean, you're absolutely right about the, the the loss of Skid Row. There used to be one in every city, and here in Minneapolis, right. we had huge amounts of what they called. SRO, single room occupancy. And they were horrible places. They were fire traps with the rooms distinguished distinguished right. times by no more than chicken wire. But they were a place where the drunks went. They would go down to the, you know, the Persian palms, get totally blotto for a buck and a quarter, and then they'd have a place upstairs to go. And eventually that was such an eyesore and such a decrepit area of town that they raised the entire thing. Now, where do those people go? Well, you know, but you're right. It's not the drunks. It's right. the people who I don't <laughs> I think... say this in defense of drunks right. everywhere. In defense of us. That's what we're on right. next. But, 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 I, but I think you're right. I mean, I think the two things I say is like, you're right. People, people used it as a cudgel. There's actually a great old movie. I'm sure you've seen it, James, called On the Bowery. In which is kind of a docudrama. It's a very weird picture in which they make this movie, and everybody acting in it is actually a denizen of the Bowery. It's really a weird movie. I've never seen anything like it. But if you're watching it, the star of the show, the star of the movie, is a guy who's a drunk on the Bowery, and um, and they're all, you know, they they they're all drinking port. I know, like Thunderbird, right? Well, they're all Thunderbird. Thunderbird. I know. Are you old I enough know. to remember when that was yes, the thing? You know, you drink Thunderbird. Um, and the second thing is that people you can always tell whether people are being serious about. Uh, so wait, wait, it's like climate change. If you, if you, if you, if the first thing you say about climate change is no nuclear power plants right. ever, then you're not serious about climate change. If the first thing you say about the homeless population in America is it's a housing crisis, then mm -hmm. I know that you're not serious yep. because it's not a housing crisis. Right. 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 You just got other things. Uh, you got another agenda. You're just tacking onto this one. Well, we could go on for this forever, and I'd love to, but you know, we are probably treading on the last oh my portion God. of our audience's patience as it is. So we best <laughs> get out. Uh, but the reason that we're here in the first place is, of course, ricochet.com and its sponsors, Policy Genius, Raycon, Fast Growing Trees. Support them for supporting us, and your life will be so much better for all of those individual products. Join Ricochet today, why don't you? And after you do so, and you love it so much, why not go over to Apple Music and give us five stars? Because then more people will see the show and more people will join Ricochet and we'll be here in 2024 and 26 and all the rest of those years beyond. Hope to see you at a meetup, but I hope even more to see you in the comments section at Ricochet 4.0. Next week, boys. Next week, Next calls. week boys. Ricochet. <laughs> join the conversation.